1: Hello my loves and welcome back to Growing and Glowing, your favourite podcast with me your host Mrs Ellie Swift. Growing and Glowing is your safe space to delve into all things life learnings there may be from spirituality, friendship, motherhood, grief, the list goes on. I am here to provide you with a friend through the very up and down journey that can be growing and of course glowing into the very best version of who you truly are. have another wonderful soul joining me on the podcast and I am honoured to say that that is Tasha Bailey, or Real Talk Therapist, as many of you guys will know her from Instagram. With a wealth of knowledge and a passion for mental health, Tasha is a qualified and accredited psychotherapist, award-winning content creator, author of her very own amazing book called Real Talk, which I think every single one of you should read, particularly if you are just getting started into your kind of journey with therapy and you haven't learned too much about that yet. But Tasha has become a beacon of support and self-love on Instagram and in today's episode we are delving into the world of mental wellness, self-discovery and the importance of open conversations around mental health. So join us as we explore the valuable insights and practical advice that Tasha can bring to the table and I hope this conversation serves you well in some way. Welcome Tash. Oh that was so beautiful. Oh wow. <laughs> that's so lovely. You're the one that's done the work while <laughs> the end of the intro. I would love to ask you, we always start our episodes off with an affirmation of the day, do you have an affirmation for our listeners today?
2: Yes, mine is um, I am more capable than I know. Love that. I, on Friday, so today's Tuesday on Friday a couple of days ago I passed my driving test um I saw yeah well done. <laughs> and I am in my 30s and was really terrified of the road um which is why I, I waited so long to do my driving lessons last year um I failed once I think a couple of months ago and then I did my test last week and passed with one minor um, wow. and literally the whole time in the test, I was like, I failed, I failed, I failed, I know I failed. And then for him to say, actually you passed with one minor, it reminded me of how sometimes we observe a situation with our own kind of biased thinking, you know, if, if we're quite critical, we'll criticise, you know, what we're doing or how we're doing it. But actually, we might be more capable than we realise and then we believe. So my affirmation is that I am more capable than I know I am.
1: I love that. And I think that's so applicable to every single daily situation, but also, of course, the big stuff, too. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever give ourselves enough credit for how much we've got through, how strong we can be. And... Your driving test is just a beautiful example of exactly that. And actually, I was exactly the same in my driving test. I literally remember bursting into tears. Like, I've never bursted into tears Mm. before because my mentality was exactly the same. I think I, I asked at one point for help or something from my instructor. And the rest of the test, I was just like, I know i failed like may as well just stop the whole thing but he was like no you've passed and i was like what (laughs) are you sure (laughs) yeah i said that i was like are you sure but you're probably a lot more cooler and calmer and connected than me anyway can you tell us a little bit about yourself someone that has no idea who you are doesn't follow you online has never heard of you tell us about you and your journey to becoming a psychotherapist
2: Okay, so I'm thinking where to start. Um, I am, let me talk about what I do. So I'm a therapist. um, And what that means is that I help people um, tell their stories and to heal their wounds that they've had unfinished business with um, and to kind of live their best lives emotionally. Um, And I do that through therapy sessions with clients, I do that through my book Real Talk and I do that through my content on Instagram and TikTok which is realtalk.therapist. So yeah it's all about kind of helping people access self-love and healing, um, having the difficult conversations with themselves and with others um, and yeah allow them to have their best lives.
1: I am so excited for this conversation because honestly I've spoken quite openly about my journey with therapy. I have been with my therapist for two years prior to that I had tried so many times to get into therapy from a really young age from probably about I want to say about 11 or 12 when I was at school Mm -hmm. and then multiple other points in my life I tried ended up quitting or didn't feel like I'd connected with the therapist so for a long time kind of going through all of the trauma I was like maybe therapy just doesn't work for me. Maybe I'm just one of those people that like, can't get to grips with whatever I need to get to grips with. And I was really sad about it. But then when I found the therapist that I've now been with for coming up to two years, I just thank the heavens, really, that mm-hmm. we managed to stumble on each other's paths when we did because it's been so revolutionary for me. Mm-hmm. But whenever I do share my journey online about therapy... I get so many messages from so many different people from all sorts of walks of life. How did you do that? How do you find a therapist? I don't even know where to look. Like, what do I even say? How do I know I'm ready for therapy? Did you always know that you wanted to be a therapist? And what kind of got you into the world of that?
2: I get that question all the the time. So when I was qualified, I'll get that question from friends or from people that I've just met. And that's kind of what led me to create my platform, because yes. I wanted to answer those questions in a way that's more accessible, yeah, why do we not all know we know how to get a GP, so why do we not all know how to get a therapist and actually that should be available information to everybody? I agree. I knew I wanted to be a therapist from the age of fifteen, okay. which is very strange um because if you meet a lot of therapists, like most of them are kind of later on in life, they're kind of middle-aged. Right. It's usually like a second career or a career change. Maybe they were a teacher or a nurse first. But to say that I want to be a therapist from like teenagehood is very strange. I think I have met like one other person that said that before. Mm. Um, and that came from my own like lived experience. I grew up seeing mental health on the extreme in my family. And um, yeah, I kind of always had this curiosity about what is mental health. No one explained to me what was kind of what I was seeing. I've mm. got a sibling that has quite a few mental health, um, help, mental health disorder. Um, and no one explained to me what that is and what that meant. And so I grew up with this big curiosity of what is that? And what what is that about? And how do I help people like that? How do I help people like me who are observing that as well? Mm. Um, and it led to me, yeah, I wanted to be a therapist. I also saw a therapist on a Nickelodeon film. Right. Um, The film was called Harriet the Spy, and Harriet went to go see a child psychotherapist, and I was like, that's a really cool job. Like, I wanna do that. Like, he just helps children talk about their feelings through toys, and that's really cool. Um, So that's kind of where the dream kind of sparked off.
1: And tell us a little bit more about your online platform and how that came about, because I think what you do online especially is so amazing i'd never seen a platform like it honestly apart from when i came across yours probably coming up to maybe a a year ago or something now but i followed you for a while and Mm. i love your content and i think everybody should know about you and what you do online because it's so important so tell us a little bit more about how that came into fruition
2: oh that's so lovely thank you um it came to fruition where i at the time i was working as a therapist with young people Mm. um it's a job that I absolutely love, but it was a really hard job because it was lots of like big traumas and imagine. also only a short amount of therapy could be offered. And I always felt like I wish I could give more. Yeah. Um, and it led me to think that actually, there's so much information that we sh- I share in therapy that everyone should have access to. Not everybody can afford therapy, and if we do, if you can get therapy from NHS or from a free service, it's usually really short. Yeah. So I was like everyone has Instagram for free mm-hmm. and TikTok for free. And there's nuggets of information that I can share mm-hmm. on those platforms that will either get people closer into therapy or mm-hmm. to at least take some nuggets that they could learn in therapy for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I thought, let me start something and see if I can get like a hundred followers. And that'd be like, I'd be really happy with that. That'd be amazing. And then obviously it just grew and it co- coincided with, with COVID as well and everybody yeah. being really anxious um and so it kind of really grew into a whole community
1: and that is really what your book focuses on too right it's like here's a book of everything that you like again nuggets of information that you would find from a therapist in a book and there's so much in there from kind of attachment styles and different ways that childhood trauma can affect you and your parents and I just think it was such an amazing book I just wanted to tell you before we get into like the depths of today's conversation how much I just think that you've done such a wonderful job with that so if anybody listening to this in particular is like almost shy or nervous to start therapy because I know that can be quite a big I feel like sometimes you think about starting your therapy journey you're like oh my god but there's so much Mm. to unpack I'm kind of nervous about that a really great place to start guys is Tasha's book called Real Talk which I'll link below in the show notes it is honestly just wonderful i cannot praise it enough so well done you thank you but the whole kind of conversation around mental health i feel like it's amazing nowadays that there is so much conversation around it especially online as a therapist though can you tell us maybe one fact or like really mind-blowing statistic that you think everybody should know about mental health and why it's really important that we focus on it
2: Mm. I don't don't have a fact but I'm just thinking about how we focus a lot on our physical health and making sure that our bodies are healthy and fit but actually how much time do we give to our mental health and that might be going to therapy that might be having really healthy boundaries is a a great way of making sure we have good mental health um but yeah it's like how much time do we actually give to nurturing our minds and nurturing Mm -hmm. our emotions and also, being emotionally available to ourselves. We talk a lot about um, looking for emotionally available partners, but actually, how often are we actually emotionally available to ourselves? I think a lot of people neglect themselves emotionally. For example, um, a lot of the time we ask each other, oh, How are you? How are you doing? Yeah. And the response is often, I'm fine, I'm okay, could be better, or, you know, can't complain. But how often do we actually say, do you know what? I'm feeling crappy mm. or I feel really blue or I feel really vulnerable or I feel really scared. Like how often do we actually have that real conversation? Mm. And the more that we are un-, un-, un authentic, no, inauthentic with our feelings, the worse our mental health is going to be because mm. we're masking. Yeah.
1: And there was one line in your book in particular that really stuck out to me that was, healing is becoming more emotionally available to ourselves and I just thought what a wonderful way to put it Mm. because that is it like at the end of the day if you look at yourself and you're thinking I would just love to heal I want to get past all of this stuff underneath everything it is about becoming the person that you need Mm -hmm. becoming more emotionally available to yourself and There was a line that I heard years and years and years ago. I don't even know where it came from, but I don't know if someone said it to me or I read it, but exactly what you were saying about how we look after our physical bodies, it was like you wash your body every day, or most people wash their body every day. When was the last time you washed your brain? Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's so true. Like, it makes me so sad to think of all of the lives that have been and gone and continue today that they're carrying around so much heaviness that if they just had a safe place to unpack it all, they could just live their best lives. Mm -hmm. And it must be such a rewarding thing in therapy when you see someone kind of really like, you know, starting
2: to go through that process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think like the main thing that we do in therapy is help you to create that space within yourself. Yes. And so it's really beautiful when I see a client like go away for the week and come back and be like, oh, I did this with myself or I let this or I unpacked this in this way. And it's like, oh, great. Like you're kind of internalizing the work that we're doing here and you're creating space for yourself and you're not neglecting your needs. Yeah. And that is beautiful. That's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think with the whole like, how often do you wash your body versus how much you wash your brain i think like they can be they can happen at the same time like even just in the shower allowing yourself to to be like okay i'm showering my body how am i actually feeling right now like what does my body feel what what am i carrying that i don't want to carry anymore what do i need this week just having those little check-in points with yourself is even a way of kind of fueling that mental health conversation
1: so where can we start with finding a therapist how do we know that we're ready because like i said it's like the number one question i get and you probably do too it's like i'm desperate to start therapy but i don't even know where to look people ask me all the time for the name of my therapist mm-hmm. i like, get you probably get loads of questions like can i come and have a therapy session yeah. with you yeah. how can we
2: start yeah i think the first thing is like realizing if it's the right time um so kind of signs that it might be good to start therapy is if you're noticing that you're making the same mistakes or there's a certain pattern of behavior that you keep running into and you want you want it to stop but you don't know how to make it stop like things like that so for example you're often neglecting yourself or you're often not being honest about how you're really feeling like that's a pattern and where is that coming from um I think as well it has to be that you feel that there's a curiosity about yourself that you have that you want to know yourself a bit deeper maybe there's things that you're scared to know about but with the right therapist you feel like you could make that brave step um yeah so I think those those things are important and in terms of looking for a therapist I'm not a big fan of like f- recommendations mm. you know like asking a friend like oh yeah. who's your therapist can I see your therapist I'm not a big fan of that because I feel like that's their therapist mm. and um yeah I think sharing therapists can be really techie and, and quite quite difficult and can bring up stuff but there are so many great therapists online like myself, for example, who share a little bit of their personality online so you get a sense about how yeah. they'll be in the therapy room. But always make sure that when you are looking at a therapist that you look for who they're accredited by mm. um, because you want to make sure that they're qualified and safe and that they you know, are doing everything they should be doing to help you. So UKCP is a great place to start or BACP, um, which are both websites that have a direct of therapists. Okay.
1: Other than, of course, like therapy sessions, which I feel like sometimes if you're a total beginner mm-hmm. to the kind of mental wellness field, the idea, that, and this was what always used to frighten me, particularly after I lost my mum, the idea of locking myself in a room with who may as well be a total stranger to me mm-hmm. and bringing up some really dark... Sad thoughts that leave me feeling really heavy and really depressed for the rest of the day, especially in the first few weeks, months of therapy, Mm -hmm. because that's when you know you're getting used to the process. Not so much anymore now that I've been on it for a couple of years, but at the time it was like my Tuesday is going so perfectly so far. Mm. Why on earth would I want to go and bring up all of this stuff? Mm and make myself feel so heavy and so sad for the rest of the day. To anybody who might find that a little bit daunting still, I know that mindfulness is still something that we can really work on and achieve just by ourselves in the shower, for instance, Mm -hmm. or maybe taking a nice um, walk outside. How can we incorporate mindfulness and present moment awareness Mm -hmm. into our daily routines to kind of, help guard ourselves against you know the daily stresses and Mm -hmm. moments of anxiety
2: yeah i always start say start your morning with yourself so even if that's like 10 minutes where you're having a tea and you're looking out the window and just allowing your thoughts to to flow or allowing yourself to focus on your breath that is going to be so powerful for how you start your day um, because you've all, already created that clarity and that space in your mind, so if any stresses do happen, you're already feeling more grounded and more balanced, because the other thing with mindfulness is that what it actually does is it regulates your, your body, so rather than your body being in fight or flight, panicked, stressful mood, you're saying to your body, okay, this is our moment for us to like, slow down, chill feel mm. grounded feel balanced so no matter what way the wind blows i'm feeling stable and i'm feeling grounded yeah so just starting with that 10 minutes it might be that you do 10 minutes of drilling or 10 minutes of breath work or a 10 minute walk just just you feeling the air on your face whatever it is yeah um allowing yourself to have that ten minutes where you're not on your phone, for example, and just yeah. with yourself
1: yeah, lovely do you practice much mindfulness?
2: I do I think I do it kind of unintentionally if that makes sense yeah. I think it's become such a part of my day so and like who you are. Yeah. In, yeah so like in between clients or um as soon as I feel a bit stressed stressed, then I will kind of step back kind yeah. of automatically um and you kind of named about therapy and the kind of worries about what you'll be left with after therapy yeah and I think one big thing that people sometimes make the mistake of doing is when they do start therapy is they try to slot it into their lives in a really yes awkward way so maybe they'll be like I'm gonna do therapy session at 8am and I'm gonna have work at 9 that's not gonna work yeah you need to have that mindfulness space in between because otherwise it's gonna spill into your work yeah or make sure that you're planning it um a time all day that yeah. feels more more okay than a busy Wednesday at work for example yeah. or, you know make sure that you're kind of thinking about what would be best for me when I plan this, this therapy session yeah
1: I think there. this might sound like a really obvious thing to say but therapy is so grounding um, as in really it really brings you back to your body and what is going on in yourself I have my therapy sessions every week at 3pm on a certain day of the week, mm-hmm. and every single week, and I kid you not, after all this time, every single week, I go into my therapy session thinking, okay, I'm going to have my therapy, and I'm going to get one more hour of work done before, you know, I am then mum again for the rest of the day, or mm-hmm. I have to go out and do this and do that, and I always plan it, I always plan this like, last hour of stuff I need to get done after therapy. And every single week, again, without fail, I finish my therapy session at 4 o'clock. And I'm like, whatever I thought was important before mm-hmm. therapy, it's just not important at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to actually take this next hour of maybe having some more time by myself because I always have my therapy sessions in an afternoon where uh, my children are not a, like you know in my environment so that I can mm-hmm. really kind of zone into myself and think about who I am without being mum first and every single time I'm like actually I just need that extra hour after therapy to really soak up everything that I just let out I need to cry I need to have a nice hot bath like so true Mm -hmm. it's a really about being kind to yourself through the whole process not just about signing up for therapy and then you know getting on with the rest of the day it's like signing up to therapy and making that commitment to yourself is like really honoring everything that you need to work through and all of the different ways that that might show up and in some cases I guess showing yourself the love that you didn't necessarily have Mm -hmm. before the therapy Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um on that same kind of note in the book you discuss a lot there's a really wonderful chapter it kind of emphasizes the power of vulnerability how can we help ourselves with being vulnerable because it's like the hardest thing to do especially online mm-hmm. we live in a world where everything needs to look perfect and we feel like we're always comparing ourselves there's so much power and saying this as someone who's actually you know had the total fear of vulnerability but tried every time to overcome it for my own reasons, I think, you know, vulnerability, really, there's nothing stronger that connects us, to mm-hmm. be honest with you, I think it's, like, the number one connector between you and I, or someone else, mm-hmm. if you're vulnerable about where you are, and your story, and everything that's led you there, it's petrifying today, that out on a plate, to strangers who could take it, and be nasty, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like, well, ugh, but I need to do that, not only for myself, but also for the people who might be able to find some sort of solace in my journey with things mm-hmm. how can we help ourselves with being vulnerable and do you have a moment in your own journey where vulnerability led to significant growth
2: or connection mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a big question I feel like um our natural instinct is to fight against vulnerability why is that I think it's about the culture that we're in right um so if we've grown up with parents who don't share a lot or yeah. don't encourage you didn't encourage you to be um, emotional or maybe you were told that you're a cry baby or you should yeah. stop being so dramatic these are all things that cut off your vulnerability and make you pack it away in a cupboard somewhere right um or if you go into a relationship and it's with somebody who doesn't appreciate vulnerability or doesn't appreciate emotions again you're going to pack it away in a suitcase somewhere or yeah. a cupboard somewhere so i think we have a real kind of keep calm carry on culture. Yeah. Um, probably across most of the world. But I'm thinking very much like UK is very much yeah. like stiff upper lip and keep calm carry on. Um, we haven't got time for the mm-hmm. feeling stuff. Um, and so we yeah we we walk around with this kind of fear of vulnerability or fear of sharing our vulnerability because we don't know how it's going to be received. Mm. Um, so in terms of being more vulnerable, it's Firstly having that have giving yourself that permission to be vulnerable with yourself.
1: Yeah.
2: This is where things like journaling can be really helpful because you're you're literally having a conversation just with yourself and yeah. you can write down and play around with being more vulnerable. Um, I know some people do it kind of more in terms of like sub stack or newsletters and that, that kind of like space. But I think writing for yourself can be really, really important. And then I think it's about looking at the company that you keep as well, mm. because if you are emotionally unavailable to yourself, you'll often pick people in your life who are also un- uh, unavailable emotionally to you. Yeah. So it means that there's no one there to kind of challenge you to be more vulnerable or to open up more because they're not comfortable with it within themselves. Yeah. So really look at the friends that you keep or the partners that you choose um, and maybe branch out into meeting more people who... Yeah want to grow their vulnerability too um and that's where kind of therapy of course is a great place to do that as well yeah and then the third thing is taking risks okay so like you said there'll be times when you are more vulnerable online and it's like you're then open up to potential critical comments or uh difficult comments and not to say that Open up online is the only way to take those risks, but just just taking those risks like yeah. if there's a friend that you're usually not very open with, then maybe test it out and see what how do they respond when you talk about something difficult um can be quite enlightening about who you should and should it keep in your life as well. so, yeah, take those little risks as well. And so
1: much of the time I think it's so wonderfully surprising like you expect them to have a reaction in this certain way, but actually it can so often be the opposite and you think, why mm. didn't I open up to them sooner? Or they were going through the same thing or, and I actually want to take it back to um, something that you mentioned in there that was really, it really sparked a question that I know a lot of people will be dying to ask you. When we talk about the people that we, we surround ourselves with, a lot of the kind of traits of being emotionally unavailable we have learned through our parents or our family and mm. you know, those immediate people in our life how can we deal with toxic family members, toxic parents, toxic siblings, especially when you feel like you're the only one that kind of really has a bit of a deeper awareness about this kind of stuff and a bit of a year, the only one to have a bit of a yearning about wanting to heal. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with that? (sighs)
2: Um yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky question. It's something that, yeah, comes up all the time. I and yeah. the, the easy answer that that we often see in articles and from, even from therapists is you should take distance from that family. But that's often not easy. Yeah. Especially if you come from, like, certain cultures or certain family backgrounds. Like, it's very difficult to cut off from a family who is also part of your system, yeah. your, your support system. So... I think in the book I say this of that there's I use like a traffic light system with my clients. So I was thinking that there's red, amber and green versions of how you respond to a toxic family situation or a toxic relationship that you're not sure how to deal with. So red would be to stay in this relationship with this person or to stay in their company would be an absolute detrimental to me and my and my mental health. So the only way that I can respond to this is by having complete separation or complete firm boundaries where I don't see this person in, anymore. That is like the worst case scenario of what you can do, and and in some cases that's absolutely valid and needed and necessary so to look yourself. So much strength that
1: would take.
2: So much. It's really hard because yeah. it can bring up a lot of kind of guilt and confusion and you're having to grieve that person even though they're still alive but you've Mm -hmm. also chosen for them to not be in your life Mm -hmm. but it's for good reason so it's a really difficult and complicated thing to decide on so then the other thing to do is is amber so that's kind of like where you're setting you're still in relationship with this person but you have more boundaries Mm -hmm. you maybe only share certain parts of your life with this person maybe Mm -hmm. you'll never discuss money or you'll never discuss your your romantic relationships but you'll have a how are you how's your how's your life yeah. kind of moments so you're creating a distance but it's not a physical distance it's almost like an emotional yeah conversational distance and then maybe you can assess if things change yeah. as well and then there's obviously green as if you feel like You know, you're on this healing journey. Your family are not on this healing journey, but maybe they can eventually be on par. Yeah. So you're kind of testing the waters. And you feel
1: supported by them. Exactly. Mm.
2: So that's kind of what I kind of propose to my clients is like, where do you want to go on this Mm. red, amber, green? What feels accessible? Do we start with amber and see what happens if Mm. they continue to always you know overstep your boundaries do we need to think about going into the red zone yeah even just for a month or for a couple of weeks or whatever it is just to see yeah. what that feels like and if we can get some space for yourself
1: yeah it's so hard i think particularly if those people are your parents yeah. because obviously we go to our parents for so for permission for yeah. everything and i'm not talking about like, can i go out tonight but it's almost like permission to be who you so much want to be but you want to be loved by them at the same time so how can we deal with that if that
2: is particularly parents yeah the thing is is that you can't change anybody you can't change anyone but yourself actually Mm. um so I think you have to have a hard conversation with yourself of saying if this parent never changes Mm. and acts this way every day for the rest of my life how will that feel for me and how will that impact me um yeah, I think it's having that conversation and and, think, and all thinking what things need to change if I want to keep having a relationship with this parent.
1: Yeah.
2: The other thing I think that causes a lot of pain is, um, I talk a lot about like inner child stuff. And yes. if our parents have like let us down in the past, yeah. then we're going to have this like undying wish that one day they're going to change, they're yeah. going to be different, they're going to give us everything we ever needed and wanted. Yeah, And so every time that they disappoint us as, an, as we're now an adult, it hurts so much because we're having to feel that pain again of all the times they disappointed us before that. Yeah. So I think there's some work to do internally of how do I let go of the expectations that I have on this parent because they can't fulfill it. Yeah. It's not part of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I can't, you know, control whether they're going to change. Yeah. So how do I forgive that? How do I let go of that? And how do I find that within myself yes, or absolutely. with other people yeah. or other relationships? Like... Where can I get that elsewhere?
1: Yeah. And I think all of this amazing knowledge that we have now with therapy and emotion and feeling and trauma, I know me as a mum, I'm like, oh my God, okay, how can I do it perfectly for my kids? Because I never want them to have gone through an inch of the stuff that I've had to go through mm. in my life. Like, I almost see some of, well, I don't see some, but I see all of the trauma that I've been through in my life as, like... Do you know what, I'd take it all over again in a heartbeat if it meant that I got to learn the lessons but my kids didn't ever have to go through anything of the same because I made sure it didn't. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's not realistic because we can't wrap our kids up in cotton wool. Mm-hmm. Whether they're 2 or 22, Like, life is still going to happen to them in some way, shape or form. Obviously a little bit kinder and more gentle if they're only a toddler but at the same time, I know me in particular who has such a passion for conversations like this and I speak to my own therapist about it all the time and she's like you're gonna set yourself up for failure like Mm -hmm. you're gonna give yourself more heartbreak that you've tried to do everything perfectly Mm -hmm. but wanting to be so aware of like how you know we want our kids to have self-esteem confidence we want them to be kind and loving people we want them to you know Be able to feel like they can set boundaries, even if it's with me that they need to set boundaries with one day. Mm -hmm. How can we do that? How can we be conscious parents? Because there's so much of that going around. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's like gentle parenting and then there's conscious parenting. Like, how can we set our kids up the best we can?
2: I think it's remembering that you don't have to be a perfect parent. Like nobody needs you to be a perfect parent. Please don't do that <laughs> ever. It's <laughs> it's also can be harmful. Yes. Um. You just gotta be good enough. And by good enough, I mean um, open and sensitive and compassionate, having boundaries. But also, you will make mistakes because you're human. Yeah. We are all human. Every parent will make mistakes. It's how you respond to those mistakes is that, that matters right so if you make a mistake you have an age-appropriate conversation with your child and say i'm really sorry i made this mistake and next time i'm going to do x y and z how right. do you feel about it right and then what you're doing there is you're teaching your child how to have accountability okay because you're showing them that you're taking accountability for your actions and you're also teaching them how to be emotionally available to themselves because you're saying to them how are you feeling from what i did like yeah. how's that and i feel like this and you're showing them that it's okay to have conflict in a in a relationship or parent parental relationship because it can be resolved and it can be they call it therapists call it rupture and repair there okay. can be a rupture but it can be repaired and smoothed over and, and that you can make us stronger okay as a relationship
1: and introducing i don't want to make this all a tangent all about you know, being a parent, because I know there are people out there who aren't parents and they don't have children. But Mm. in your book, you talk about how, you know, kind of age appropriate emotions. So when we're a toddler, we know happy, sad, scared, maybe a couple of others, but that's roughly it. Mm -hmm. When do we start becoming in our life a little bit more aware of the different emotions that we might feel like embarrassment or pride or when did they come into play? And when do parents need to be aware that that's happening?
2: Yeah I think they happen kind of gradually so for example like things like embarrassment will start to feel more from the age of like five six because we're we're in other environments we're in school with other kids where we're more likely to feel embarrassed because there's a social there's more social kind right. of connections happening so I think as a parent it's like being able to open up that vocabulary for right. your, for yourself firstly but also for your kid as well so in the book there's like a feelings will but you can find like children friendly feeling wills that show that for example the feeling of happy there's so many different flavors of happy there's glee there's proud there's just so many different flavors and allowing your kid to you know learn some of those words along the way is really important because yeah we're more than just happy sad fearful there's there's so many other feelings and we can feel multiple feelings at the same time yes and i think a lot of people don't realize that and so when they do feel multiple feelings they're just like oh my gosh i'm so confused by what i'm feeling yeah but actually, it's absolutely normal just give a name to it and that will help you to process it yeah
1: so to someone who is listening to this and they haven't started therapy yet they're maybe considering it Um, or even someone who is on their therapy journey, but maybe they're early and they feel like they haven't really reaped the rewards, because I actually heard somewhere that the kind of like rewards and the change that you might start to see from therapy on like a real kind of hit the ground running uh, level doesn't really take place until about 18 months after you've kind of really started therapy, that's when a lot of the, what you think, obviously the biggest stuff that you've unpacked at the start, but what you know the real the roots of the Mm -hmm. stuff starts to get unpacked around that kind of time so for someone who hasn't really hit that point yet in their healing journey what would you say are some effective coping strategies and kind of you know practical tips for navigating tough times in life Mm -hmm. and maintaining mental well-being
2: Mm -hmm. I would say one thing of like whether you're in therapy or not, make sure that you're kind of using resources. I think especially if you're on therapy, because if you think about it, it's like, it's like going to the gym once a week. Mm. Um, you can do a workout of a personal trainer, but if you're not maintaining it throughout the week, mm. then you're not going to have the results that you wanted. You're not going to work on yourself the way that you wanted. Mm. So even just having a book that you're reading that confronts some of the things that you want to work on and then bring that, what you've learned, bring that to therapy and that might just kickstart that journey a little bit. So that I would say, really, use make use of like TikToks, Instagrams, yeah. um, books, podcasts. Um, I think thinking of I think one really important thing is remembering that your mind and your body are connected. Mm. So often when we experience a trauma or something difficult or even when we're stressed mm. we feel it in our body yeah we say, we say oh I'm so tired or I'm so ill I've got a cold because you know the more stressed we are the the lower our immune system is going to be right so we're more likely to get colds and, and feel ill or even on long term we can get like quite serious health concerns so we really remember to kind of incorporate your mind and your body with things Mm. so even things like I think they call it like soft girl walks now or healing girl walks like doing things like that where you're you know doing soft gentle safe movement whilst also processing what you need to process can, can be really important yeah um which is why breath work is great yes thinking about your community and you know if you don't feel emotionally challenged in your community maybe think about you know other spaces that you can enter whether mm. it's like a sister circle or doing a workshop or something that can just give you that extra boost in thinking about and learning about yourself yeah and I think creativity is great for healing because often when when we talk to ourselves we often talk with our ego and our ego is this part of ourselves that is like I hate vulnerability and I'm always right and I'm never wrong and I just want to be perfect mm. and that ego can get in the way of our healing. Mm. Whereas if you do things that are creative, they basically tell your ego to sit to the side okay and they allow you to go a little bit deeper into your own personal journey into your own thoughts so that's why like in the book i have a lot of like little creative exercises because they go a little bit deeper than it usually usually would right um because we yeah we like to communicate through symbols and pictures and metaphors yeah and they can be really telling about you know what we're carrying what we're thinking about
1: how do we know when it's our ego talking that's probably such a loaded question you're probably like oh my god right Mm. let me write five essays but how do we know it's our ego talking
2: i would say that ego has a lot of rules so if you find yourself saying i should have done this okay or i shouldn't have done that or i wish i was more like this or i could have been more perfect at that Mm. this is all stuff that your ego is saying it's kind of rules Or if you're judging other people, that is very egotistical as well. Right. So if you're saying, oh, I wouldn't wear a skirt like that. Yeah. You know, that is your ego kind of making a judgment of yourself and also of that person. Because you're saying, I can't, my body isn't right to wear that skirt. And that person's body isn't right to wear that skirt. Right. So listening to those kind of phrases, it's very much, not just just I statements, but it is very much kind of the judgment side of us.
1: And. Where is that ego formed? like how does that come about?
2: That comes about I'm trying to think what age it's definitely in like child early early childhood um and I think the more criticism we've received, the more kind of critical our own ego or our inner critic will be oh, as well God, how so we internalize like if we've had an embarrassing memory or a memory where we were told off by a teacher or judged for whatever reason. All of those memories will collect and create our inner critic, and our inner critic will be this part of us that, yeah, kind of gets in our way in a way because it's you know it's like when I was talking about the driving test, I was saying you know I've I've failed, I've definitely failed, and that's my inner critic exactly saying like no, I better prepare for the worst.
1: I think one thing that is so like common about everybody in our society today, particularly in our generation, is that we just want. Quick fixes to things, we're very impulsive, we don't have much patience with stuff, which is why social media is so like hot because mm-hmm. it's like, no, next, no, next, you know. But when it's stuff like our inner critic and we're looking at our journey with ourselves and we start our healing journey, we're like, two years of therapy, I'll be good. Can't wait for this to be finished. I think you literally start your book by saying something like that, that is like, you literally said to your therapist, I can't wait for all of this to be just done. Mm-hmm. And your therapist said to you, it's never going to be so done. I was like,
2: nah, babe, it's not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's lifelong. <laughs> how, knowing that it's going to be lifelong. Yeah. And it's always going to be there to a degree. How can we quieten our inner critic or at least work on, on them a little bit?
2: Mm, I, I tend to say that our inner critic is there to protect us. So it's there to protect, protect us from rejection or embarrassment. You know, me saying to myself, I failed this test is me preparing myself for the worst. Right. Um, So that I can feel more control. So that's one thing about the ego. They love control. Okay. They love it. Absolutely love it. Whereas if we want to be more healed, we have to kind of let go of control. Yeah. Um, And realise that we cannot control everything in our lives. We can maybe... Have autonomy about how we feel and how we respond to things, but we can't control, you know, what things happen. We can't control other people. how th- exactly other people, how things go right, how things go wrong. We can't. It's not going to happen. And so, healing is about kind of letting go of expectations. I see. And also, kind of allowing yourself to sit in the uncertainty of things. Right. Um, and actually, you might find a lot of beauty there that we didn't realize. Yeah.
1: What would be one piece of advice that you would love to give to the other person listening today Mm. as a therapist?
2: I would say, oh gosh, there's so much, Um, but I would say you are absolutely never, ever alone. Um, And there are going to be experiences that you think, oh, only I've gone through that and only I've experienced that, but I guarantee you you will maybe even know somebody who has been through or experienced a feeling or a thought or a a kind of situation that you might have as well. But you're not going to find that out unless you're vulnerable. Yes. So use that vulnerability to connect with people in ways that you haven't done before. And I guarantee you, it will be scary and it will feel weird and awkward and risky, but you might just love yourself more for it
1: that's amazing. Thank you so much. Yes. We love to finish off every single episode with our growing and glowing moments of the week. So our growing moment is something that we've pushed through, we've worked through and we've come out the other side and our glowing moment is something that we are really proud of ourselves for for. And they're kind of one and the same a little bit. Mm. But I basically just like to say two things you're proud of. Growing and glowing. What are your growing and glowing moments of the week?
2: Oh, um I would say my growing moment is I think this, this last week is when things are starting to click into place for me. So I've had a few months where I've been like, meh. Right. And kind of a bit demotivated and a bit like, what is my vision? I'm feeling a bit lost. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a week where I've done the groundwork of researching and reflecting and thinking and planning and, all of those plans are starting to kind of connect in my mind, mm. and so I'm feeling kind of clarity and motivation. So I'm feel I feel good for getting to this point.
1: Did you pull yourself out of that rut? Being very aware that you were in the rut, or was it just a gradual thing that you?
2: I was very aware that I was in the rut, and it was really irritating me. Because mm. I like, get the same. I want to get out of this. Yeah, yeah. How do you get out of it? You. Can't... Can you get uh I think there's something about patience i I see it as almost like you know agriculture and farming, and you have to like sow the seeds, mm-hmm. and there's that waiting period mm. of waiting and hoping that something's gonna poke out of the ground, yeah, um, and I think it's that that was the place that I was in it was like the waiting and yeah. like not knowing, and it's not in my control of when things will poke out of the ground. I've just got to wait and Keep feeding myself and nurturing myself. I think it's that it's kind of continuing to nurture yourself. Yeah, having a routine can be really helpful for me personally when I'm in that place. Me
1: too. Yeah,
2: because um, it gives me a bit of a direction whilst I'm waiting. Yeah, and then ho- waiting for the harvest and waiting for spring to to come out.
1: And it always does, right? Yeah. Exactly. Every single time. Exactly. And what about your glowing
2: moment? My glowing moment probably has to be the driving test. Yeah, and
1: well done. I think
2: realizing just how confident you know so many things happened on that driving test so many just wild things that never normally happen happened whilst on on that test and i was still able to feel confident and still able to feel like i've got this yeah. i know what i'm doing you know i've spent time learning to drive and you know i kind of even though i felt to myself i felt this i still believed in myself as a driver yeah um so that's kind of my glow moment i literally cannot wait to go back back behind the wheel um well
1: thank you so much for coming on today tash can you tell us a little bit more about where we can find you
2: yes so you can find me on tiktok and instagram and substack as realtalk.therapist um or you can find me from my book real talk lessons from therapy in healing and self-love perfect thank you so much for coming on today thank you for having me (laughs)